0: have seen that and said, you know, this looks a little familiar. It's been a couple years, but uh, I think it was 2019 that we had I had taught this series and it was, we did it in a little different fashion at that time. And in fact, we didn't, we didn't make it all the way through everything, but we, um of these, or I just, I just feel to, to teach this again. I've been Uh, Planning on going in this direction over these last several weeks. We have been covering the topic of discipleship and how we are all disciples, right? Every one of us is a disciple. What is is a disciple? Anybody remember what a disciple is? A follower of Jesus? Yes, a follower of Jesus. Somebody who would... Be what? I'm sorry, what was that? Yes, somebody who would teach others. A disciple uh, would also, the expectation of a disciple during the time of Jesus uh, was that not only are you being disciple, but that you are also discipling others, you're teaching others. And that was the expectation. Uh, A disciple, what that word really means, is to somebody who is learning, is a student. A disciple is a student. Somebody who would, uh, I guess how I defined it, um, is... In the context of, of a disciple of Jesus Christ is it's, a disciple is somebody who is willing to let Jesus change what's important to us. That's how, I uh, think if you just narrow it all down, narrow everything down, if, if you have things that need to be changed, if you're discipleable, if you are a disciple, then you would still allow, you're still teachable, you still have a teachable heart, and as God would prompt you, or as the, as the word re, is revealed to you, you would Allow your thoughts and what's important to you change because you're a disciple. And so, uh, as, as was pointed out, part of that, uh, part of being a disciple is that we also uh, are, are called to disciple others, called to teach others, called to, um, called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. That is part of the expectation of us as Christians is that we would be uh, evangelical, that we would evangelize this world. Amen. There's a reason for it because heaven's real. Hell is real. And we have an opportunity here, not just for ourselves, but to reach somebody else. Amen. And so tonight, this is the beginning of, um, of a, a home Bible study that we're just going to be covering here and on our Wednesday nights. And um, you receive that index card. What I want that index card to be used for. Is if you have any questions throughout this Bible study, I want you to write them down on that index card. You can write down more than one question on there. You don't have to put your name. Uh, if you want to put your name, you can, but there's there's no need for that. And you can write those questions down. And then at the end of the Bible study, uh, as we dismiss tonight, you can hand those in. And and I apologize if everybody didn't get one. Is do we have anybody who didn't get one that, that would wants one of these? If you want to just raise your hands. If there's somebody who has. Maybe he has one, Brother Lucas. Did you need one? Oh, you had a question. I'm sorry. We will. We uh, if we need to, we can. I guess we can do that. Sounds good up here, though. All right, we can. Uh, So, if we have any of these index cards, then um, or that somebody needs, then maybe you could just. Uh, write down if you don't have one you can just write down on any, any piece of paper and you can turn that in and we'll get to those questions and so uh, we will probably compile those questions for a couple of weeks and and then we will we'll just kind of pause and i'm gonna address some of these questions that you might have and so the idea with this is that you can take this we have these bible studies in fact in our bookstore that you can you can go and pick up this is the teacher's handbook for it um and you can you can pick up these bible studies in our bookstore uh and i uh, don't apologize don't remember the exact cost of it but it comes with this teacher's handbook comes with these student handouts you don't have to have the student handouts to teach it but uh you can get some of those and then you'll also get a chart and what you're going to see on our screen tonight uh maybe is uh <laughs> is the the what is a flip chart a physical flip chart that you would also get you'll see the um, you'll see the charts or the slides for those. If we don't get it up there, that's all right. Well, I want to just get into the Word tonight and um, get into this Bible study. You know, the, a great place to start. Anytime that you're teaching a Bible study to somebody, in fact, maybe you just have this question uh, yourself. What is the Bible? You know, we talk about the Bible. We've all seen the Bible. This uh, This Bible study is called Uncovered. And the reason we call it Uncovered is... That uh, I would assume, or I would venture to say, that most of us have a Bible somewhere in our in our home. And what we want to do is we want to uncover this. To let this not be something that's intimidating. Let this not be something that it just sits there collecting dust. But rather, let's uncover it. Let's open it up. Let's get into it, and let let's allow the Word to begin to speak to us. And uh, one one way that. Uh, uh, one thing that can help in allowing the Word of God to speak to us is when we understand how the Bible is constructed. How it's put together. And that's what the focus of our Bible study tonight is going to be on. Is is what is this? What is the Bible? How is it, how is it constructed? How is it put together? And uh, how can I make sense of the words that are here in the Bible? And I guess my first question is, you know what what does the word Bible even mean? What does the word Bible mean? Anybody know? Anybody have any idea what the word Bible means? That's right. I think Brother Stokely said it means book. It's pretty simple. Actually, it's not it doesn't mean book, it means books. It plural. Bible means books, and uh, that's what our Bible is. It is a collection of books or a collection of letters and In fact, there are a collection of 66 writings or books that were written by at least 40 different writers. You have at least 40 different writers that wrote these 66 letters or books that uh, all are compiled to make our Bible. And it's written over a, a span of time, or it covers, I should say, a span of time that is approximately four thousand years of human history looking at approximately four thousand years of human history that the Bible covers now although there were many writers again how many writers were there at least 40 that's right although there were many writers there was only one author the author of of the Bible the author of every one of these books was God in fact, if we can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Is our screen working? It's not. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. All Scripture, every word in this Scripture is inspired, or it's, uh, it's it's given by the inspiration. It's inspired. It is that word in the in the original uh, definition of that word would be that God breathed it. This scripture is God breathed or God spoke this in, in a manner, he, maybe not audibly, but, but God gave this word to man and, and man was the writer of it, but God was the author of it. And so we have the Bible, these 66 books that are divided into two different sections, right? We have two different sections of the Bible. Do We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. I asked just a minute ago what the word Bible means. I'm going to ask again. What what might the word Testament mean? Does anybody know what Testament, what that word means? We're going to try to be interactive in our Bible study here tonight. Letter was we got some uh, some good guesses here. Letter. It's, anybody else have any ideas? Testament. What's that? Uh, no, it's a good guess though. It means the word testament is uh, in fact, it's still in use today, this word in this sense. It means covenant or an agreement. You have you have a will, last your last will and testament. It's a it's an agreement or it's a covenant that you're making in this case, Testament is referring to the covenant that God is making with His people. You have the Old Covenant and you have the New Covenant. Now, when they were writing the Old Covenant, they didn't know it was the Old Covenant. That was the New Covenant to them. They were writing the, the Word as it was inspired to them, but, but once we get to a new covenant that God has with His people, a new way that God is dealing with His people, then we have, we, we categorize it in these two sections of the Old Testament. And the New Testament. And so, both of the Old and the New Testament, they, um, both of them can be divided or they have been divided into sections for our clarity. We have, in fact, five different sections for both of these, uh, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament, um, I guess before we get into the sections, I'll just mention that the Old Testament has 39 books. It's 39 books that are uh, included in our Old Testament. The New Testament, anybody know 66 minus 39? Anybody do the fast math? 27. That's right. Or you could just look down at your paper and see it says 27. The other way that I, uh, I was taught to remember that, and it's always just stuck in my brain, that uh, if you take old, how many letters are in the word old? Three. How many letters are in the word testament? Nine. You have Old Testament, three, nine. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. If you take three times nine, what do you get? 27. There's 27 books in the New Testament. And so that's just one way I was taught that at a young age. It's just stuck with me. But I want to get into the five different categories or five different ways that the Old Testament is split up in these 39 books. We have the first section of books is the law. And you can write there the number one under Old Testament. You have the law is that very first section of books. And this includes the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You have those five books are the law. There you, can, you might also hear, uh, hear the word Pentateuch. And, uh, I don't, I don't have this up here, but you can just, just remember that word. Pentateuch. Pentateuch, uh, means five-fold vessel. And that's, uh, that would be the way that they would refer to us. The first five books, the five-fold vessel, the five books of the law. This, um, that's, that's the first section of the Old Testament. Then we get into the historical books. Section number two is the books that tell of the history of the people of Israel. Now, the law, some of that also. We're we're getting some of the history of the people of Israel, but uh, what we're really getting here is once they're a nation of Israel, uh, what does um, you know what what's taking place in uh, in, in their country and in the way that their kings are handling themselves, and so. Um, Not just the kings, but even preceding them, we get Joshua and Judges. They precede the kings the way that, uh, they ruled or that God ruled through them. So that, uh, comprises Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. All of those books there are the historical books. The next section, next section that we get into is the poetic books. You have the poetry, books of poetry. And as you're reading through some of them, you may not think that it so much sounds like poetry. Um, There's different forms of poetry that are used. Many of these are uh, just very uh, foreign to us. The, The format of the poetry, you wouldn't necessarily... Uh, read Job today, that kind of poetry. Uh, I guess maybe some, some people like reading depressing poetry for some reason, but uh, that's what Job is a very long form of poetry. And you see the conversations that are taking place between him and his friends and him and God. And so uh, it's, it's written in the form of, of a, an ancient um, form of poetry. And so you have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, all of those comprise uh, the poetic books of the Old Testament. And then we get into Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. These next uh, next five books are the major prophets. Major prophets. I know, I'm sorry, the words are so small up here on this chart. If you're trying to uh, copy that, I apologize. But the major prophets um, is this next book, and then or next section, and then we have... Finishing it out, we have 12 books left in the Old Testament. All 12 of those books fit into the category of minor prophets. Now, true or false? The major prophets are more important books than the minor prophets. It's false. It's not that they're more important, not that they are more inspired, not that they are more... Major in any way other than the fact that they are much longer in nature. The, there's much more to the books, um, to those five books, than there is in the the minor prophets. And so, we still get we still get uh, God inspired prophecy, God inspired uh, men, and uh, who who are writing these minor prophets. But we see the in in length that the major prophets are much longer. And we could break these out a little bit more. I'm not going to uh, necessarily do so. But you can see some that uh, focuses on Judah. Some of it focuses on Israel. We could break this out a little bit more. But these five categories uh, are, are a good way to categorize our Old Testament. Then we get into the New Testament. The New Testament also has, we could break it into these five different categories. Again, 27 books in our New Testament. The first section of books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what are these four books, what are they? what is the category that they fit into? The Gospels, that's right. We have the Gospels that are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospels is where we see the story of Jesus Christ, when Jesus was here on earth. That's where we see the story. We see everything, all the ministry. We see the birth of Jesus. We see the ministry of Jesus. We see the death of Jesus. We see the resurrection of Jesus. We see the ascension of Jesus. All of that takes place in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we get into our second category. And our second category uh, really is just one book. We're going to call this the book of history. book of history. This is the book of Acts. Historically, we see what is happening as the church takes off, as the church is planted, as the church begins. We see that book of Acts, and this is a book of history. And so uh, we um, go from the Gospels uh, where Jesus is here. Jesus has, uh, in fact, is still um, they, they recount some of the time where Jesus was there in, in Acts chapter 1, but after that, this is the ch- beginning of the church, and and then we uh, see how the church gets its start and, and everything that uh, happens as the church is expanding. And then our third section, a third section of books in the New Testament are letters from Paul. Letters from Paul. Paul, we get his uh, conversion story in the book of Acts. He was, he was uh, very cruel to the Christians until God revealed himself to Paul. And then we get his conversion story, and Paul then uh, becomes the greatest missionary in, I don't know, I would in, in, of all time. Paul goes and he he starts churches all throughout uh, all throughout Asia. He starts all these churches, all these works, and within he's writing letters back and forth to these congregations of people, these churches that are started in all these cities. And we get to see these writings, these letters that he's the, the correspondence that he has with the churches there that that he has started. And so, and so these are you may also hear of these referred to as the epistles. Epistles, not apostles, but the epistles. And epistle is, is just a, uh, word that means letter. And so we're just gonna simplify it tonight, just call it the letters from Paul. And then we get, uh, letters that come after that, some more epistles. And these are the general letters. General letter, letters. Section number four is the general letters. And these are, uh, other books that are, are written by, or other letters that uh, are included in our Bible that are not written by uh, by Paul. Perhaps the book of Hebrews, that one is kind of sandwiched in between there. Um, that one's been attributed to many different writers. Um, Paul being one of them, but perhaps not. it was not Paul. James was written by James. First and second, Peter, uh, by the disciple Peter. First, second, third, John, Jude. All of those books were written by their namesake, and so, and so we get those general letters that um, that are included there. And then our our last and final book of, uh, category in the New Testament is the book of prophecy. This is the book of Revelation. So prophecy is our fifth and final category. Okay, I think those are the only blanks that we have tonight. That you can fill in. So I might speed up just a little bit. I was trying to go slow enough that you could write everything down. Our next question, the the next question that might come to mind is, you know, how did this, how did this Bible get to us? How do we have this book in our hands today? How did this come through all these years and get to here where it's the best selling book of all time? This is uh it, it is translated into nearly every language in the world. You have this, this book here that uh you know it was if it was written by all these different writers, how did it end up coming to us? And the first question you might ask is Well, who was the very first person to write a letter or write a book of the Bible? And it was Moses. Moses is the one who, in fact, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. What were those five books called? Anybody remember the category of the first five books? The law. That's right. We have the law. Moses is the one who wrote all five of those books. Now, you might say, well, Moses didn't live through all of that. So how did he write all of that? It was God-inspired. God-revealed god inspired god revealed and not only did God reveal, but there was also just part of the culture at that time before there was written communication. By that time, of course, there was written communication, but it was part of the culture that people would pass down stories. This was, you, you would get the details, but they don't get all the details through the stories that are told, through the things that uh, would come down to Moses, uh, not in the, not in the such detail as, uh, as God can see it and God can reveal. So remember, there's one author. God is the author, but Moses was the one who wrote the first five books of the Bible. And uh, let's go, in fact, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. See, Moses is the one that he had the Ten Commandments um, that were revealed to him. Uh, He stored those in the Ark of the Covenant, the remainder of the written law, Uh, was kept outside of the Ark of the Covenant. And so it says here in Deuteronomy 31, uh, verse 24, it says, And it came to pass, when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in a book, until they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites, which bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law, put it in the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against thee. And this is not referring to the Ten Commandments. He has he has the the rest of the words, all these things that, that God has revealed to him Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of that inspired by God, and he says, Take this book. i we've finished it. God is uh this is he's at the end of his life. He says, Keep this book, keep this for a, a namesake, keep this for a um as a witness that, that it may be there for a witness against thee. And then after Moses' death, after Moses' death, his successor, Joshua, continued to record God's work among the Israelite people. Joshua takes over as the, the leader of Israel, and he begins to write down the very things that are happening to, uh, to, through, the, through the hand of God uh, with his people. And this process, it continued through history throughout the rest of the, the, the history of the nation of Israel this process continued eventually it got to where there were professional scribes that they would uh, they would copy that law they would copy the old books and they would store these copies in the temple or later in the synagogues they would copy this down uh, word for word all the words of Moses all the words of Joshua all the words of Uh, of the rest of the writers as they continued down and in fact there were very strict guidelines when producing these copies of of the law for the old testament books here's here's the guidelines that the scribes had to uh, had to abide by when they were copying every letter there's there's three guidelines here so first guideline Every letter and every word of the original manuscript were counted. If the copy did not match the original count, they would destroy the copy. Second thing, every word had to be verbalized before written. No word could be written from memory. In other words, these they're making copies of these books day after day after day, but they had to speak it out loud before they would write it down because they were not allowed to just write this all down from memory even though they've written it once before. Number three, every copy had to be reviewed within 30 days of completion. If as many as three pages required corrections, the entire manuscript would be destroyed. So they... If there was less than three, they'd, they'd take that page out, they'd re, rewrite that page. But if there was any more than three, they'd said, I don't know, you were just having an off time. This scribe, I don't know what was going on with you, we're just going to destroy the whole thing. Um, you've messed up too many times. And so and so that's those are the the, the the strict guidelines. They wanted to make sure that when they're passing this down, they're not changing it. They're keeping the very words, word for word, exactly how it came from God, how it came from the original author to the first writer. They want to continue that word. In the history of translation, we see this uh, continues down. In fact, uh, we, uh, it was discovered, sure should have written down the time. I think it was in the 70s. I could be wrong on that, but the, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. I'm sorry, not in the 70s. I was way off on that. I do have the date here. 1947. 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, and uh, this is in the, the Dead Sea um, region, and they were discovered by a little shepherd boy who uh, who uh, found these in a cave, and these were scrolls that had not been touched for a thousand uh, over a thousand years. They dated back, some of them dated back to 1900 years old. In fact, they just found they just found some more over the last couple of months, uh, and, uh, and and you have some fragments of, of those as well that they are uh, still translating today. But these these scrolls, one thing that's very interesting is they found these scrolls, ancient scrolls. What's I mean, you you can understand that if we have these rules of copying it from here to there, from, you know, every every copy, um, maybe some little things get changed, right? Any book. Any book. Some little things might get changed here and there. Even with very strict guidelines, you would think that things here and there would change. And so, the Bible that they had at the time that the, uh, that the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, were, were found, the oldest copy that they had was, was only a couple hundred years older than the copy that they had. When they found these Dead Sea Scrolls, it brought them back hundreds of years. Back 1900 years. And what was so interesting is that there was one uh, that was almost a, a complete copy of the book of Isaiah. Almost a complete copy of the book of Isaiah. And over 95% of the text was exactly word for word, spelling for spelling, letter for letter, the exact same as the book that they had at that time. The 5%, the only differences. And those 5% were some spelling variations in some words. So these books, when they went back thousands of years, or over 1900 years. And and got a copy of something that was that old we see how this was copied from one uh, generation to the next and it was very meticulously they did not want to change this they did not want to alter this in any way and it's been proven more than more so than any other book in the world that that this has stayed very true to its original content that was given by God Amen so this is uh, how we get the book that we have today. That's how this has been translated throughout the generations. It's come down to us today. And so, the question is: Has it been lost in translation? I don't believe that it has been lost in translation. I believe that uh, that it shows we're it, it's it's proven through uh, these these discoveries of very ancient texts that this is very true to the original word that came to the, the original writers. Amen. Next question. The next question that perhaps we should ask is, should we trust the Bible? Should we trust the Bible? I understand that that's a very loaded question, you know, depending on your context, depending on where you're coming from. If I'm sitting here in a room full of of Christians, the answer is probably yes. We should trust the Bible. If you're sitting across the table from somebody who is, who does not it was not brought up in church uh, whether they um or maybe they're just uh just n- not uh trusting of of what we have today and and you know maybe their answer might be a little bit different but I want to I want to talk about why we can trust the bible I would say I will say this it takes faith to conclude that God has divinely orchestrated the assembly of the bible it takes faith You can poke holes in it if you want to, but I choose to have faith that God has inspired this, that God has, has had his hand on this throughout the years. And so if you're going to sit across the table and try to argue with somebody, if they, if they don't have faith to believe it, then they're going to be able to poke holes in whatever argument you have. But I do believe, I do believe that we have evidence to support the claim that the Bible is trustworthy. One question. One question. That maybe we, uh, uh, should, you know, any kind of a, a biblical or a scripture, uh, scriptural text should, uh, should answer is, you know, how did we get here? These are just some questions that, that I think that any kind of a, an authoritative word from God should answer these kind of questions. How did we get here? And you can see Genesis 1-1. It tells us, how did we get here? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, it came from God. Another question. Who am I? Who am I? And and we can get the answer right in the Bible. It says that we were formed in the image of God. We were created in God's image. That God is the one who formed us and created us. That's who I am. I am a living soul because God breathed into man and made me a living soul. Okay? So we get the answers to these questions uh and, and you would expect that if this is a manuscript or if this is a word that came from God Almighty, you would expect for the ans- these answers to be in that kind of a book. And we have them. How about what should I do with my life? That's a very big existential question. What should I do with my life? In fact, 1 Corinthians 6, I don't think I have this in the uh on our slides, but 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Gives us an answer of what should I do with my life. It says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's what we should do with our life. We should glorify God in every aspect of our life. Our body, our spirit, everything should be a, should be done as a glory unto God. And we could we could pull out scripture after scripture that would tell us what we should do with our life. That's just one. How about, is there something after this? The Bible answers that. There is an afterlife. It describes the afterlife for us. Jesus, in fact, talks about what comes after this here on earth. And so those are some questions that if this is a divinely inspired word from God, then uh, we would expect it to answer these types of questions. How about, Should I trust the Bible? Um I just I believe that the Bible works. It works. Psalms tells us that the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. It works. I've I've had times in my life where you just need to read. I I pick up the Bible and it converts my soul. Well, it changes something in me. It converts it from uh, despair into joy or to hope. It converts it from uh, from a place of, uh, of sadness into joy. It can comfort. It can bring comfort. It will convert the soul. Not only that, but it can convert. It can convict a uh, somebody who is lost in sin and convict them to the point where they are converted. Their soul is converted to a point of salvation. It works. The Holy Scriptures in Second Timothy three fifteen says, "The Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation, they are able to make you wise for salvation." Amen. Bible also has and will continue to survive the times. As I said, it does take some faith uh, to to believe. Uh, that this is that this has come down to us uh, in in such a such a way that uh, it has not been altered in any way, but I I have faith. I do believe that the word of God even tells us Matthew twenty four. It says, "My words will by no means pass away." This word is not going to it's not going to be destroyed. Now, wouldn't wouldn't you question or wouldn't you think that if this Word, this, if this Bible here is the divine word of God, that the devil would try his very best to destroy it, right? That he would try to discredit it, he would try whatever tactics he can to get rid of this word of God. If this is the word. But you say, but, so, so why is it here today? Well, the devil, he's not gonna win that battle. He will not win that battle, although he has tried his hardest to do so. There have been country after country, governments after governments and and institutions throughout history that have tried to destroy the word of God. They've had book burnings. They've had bannings. They've had uh, so many times where this word, there's still countries today where this is illegal to be in their country. Why? Because the devil will fight his hardest To go against and to stop this from getting into the hands of people. I'm thankful that we have the freedom today. I'm thankful that we live in a country where we have the freedom to have this. Amen. In fact, there were hundreds of years where the church, where the church was keeping this out of the hands of people. That's the reality. I'm thankful that I live today where I can have this in my hands. Where the Catholic church doesn't have it doesn't have it uh, anchored to a a pulpit in the church and nobody else is able to have access to it. No, I'm thankful that we today have access to this Word of God. Amen. Last question about should we trust the Bible. I I believe we should trust it because of the fulfillment of prophecy. We see the fulfillment of prophecy that comes to pass. Prophecies that took place in the Bible. In fact, there are approximately 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. 2,000 of those, approximately 2,000 of those have already been fulfilled. That means there's about 500 more to be fulfilled. Some of these prophecies, some of these prophecies we could look at, they included very precise details regarding future world kings, future nations that would arise and fall. We see almost down to the, the year in some, some cert, uh, certain prophecies where these things took place and it happened exactly as was prophesied in the Bible. And I think some of the most convincing prophecies are the ones that were fulfilled about the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have over 300 prophecies that Jesus Christ alone fulfilled. Things that were prophesied about his birthplace, Micah 5.2 tells us that he would be born in Bethlehem. We know that that book was written long before Jesus was ever born. And and it took place exactly as was prophesied. He was born in Bethlehem. told of his manner of birth, that he would be born as a virgin. And Isaiah tells us that. Isaiah also tells us that his mission would be to set captives free from sin. And that's exactly what the mission of Jesus Christ was. Psalm 78 tells us that he would teach in a format that was of, of parables his teaching style would be in that way that uh, Isaiah tells us that he would be rejected of all men he would be rejected by his own men his own countrymen and that is exactly what we see take place in Psalm 22 it tells us that his death or it tells us of his death how his hands and his feet would be pierced we know that to be true again Psalm 16 a very pro- prophetic book even though it's not in the books of the prophecies, but it tells us in Psalm 16 that his body would not be left to decay. That he would resurrect. See, the fulfillment of prophecy is another reason that we can trust the Bible as the divinely inspired word of God. The last question I want to just answer in this, this Bible study here tonight is, um, is just where should I start? Where should I start in, in reading the Bible? Or maybe I could ask you tonight, where should you restart reading the Bible? If this is not a, a current habit. If this is not something that you're doing right now, then where can we start? First question, or first uh, first thing I just want to address is, is choosing the right Bible. Choosing the right Bible. I want to just say... Uh, Just that I I understand that there may be some hard, entrenched views on this thing that I'm about to say that what I might say could be different from you. See, within the English language, we can choose from a variety of of modern Bible translations. And uh, while studying very key doctrines in the Old and the New Testaments, um, it's, it's important that we have different tools, different ways that um, that we can get a full understanding of what the Bible is really telling us. And there's one translation, I, I believe all of our scriptures tonight that we had, I, I think I had them all, in the King James Version. It's one of the translations that you might read from, is the King James Version. I venture to say that probably most of us here tonight uh, probably have a King James Version, if you brought your Bible with you. Hopefully you did. Uh that, Probably the majority, I would say, is probably King James Version. However, that's not the only version that's out there. Here's what I'm going to say about it is that when selecting a translation, read one that you understand. If you don't understand a word of it and that stops you from reading the Bible, then read one that you understand. Find a translation, there's, there's some other things, and I'm going to come back and circle back to it a little. Find a translation that is closer to a literal translation rather than a paraphrase trans, a translation. Can we put, uh, I think, our final chart, put that up here, I don't know if you'll be able to read it, but you can't. <laughs> I can't even read it, and I'm the closest to it. I kind of can't. Over here on this side is, is Word for Word. Way over on this side is our paraphrase. Uh, in the middle is Thought for Thought. There's just a few of the, of the different translations that are up here. Uh, we have the King James and the, the ESV or the English Standard Version. Those are the top and bottom over here that are closest to the Word for Word. You have New King James Version that's also over there. In the Thought for Thought category, we have a New Living Translation and a New, uh, new International Version, the NIV. Uh, over towards the paraphrase, you have a, a message Bible, the Good News Translation, the Living Bible. Those are some different uh, translations that you might find uh, in, a, in a Bible bookstore. You might find them on on a Bible app or somewhere where you're reading online. And these are different translations that you might get. And, and even as I'm teaching, I might pull from these different translations at times. And I'll say that The majority of my Bible reading, just my daily Bible reading, when I'm trying to get just the context of the story, I do not read the King James version the majority of the time. Most of my reading comes from is is in the New Living Translation. Now, when I'm studying, I do I do study the King James uh, primarily. I'll talk about that a little, but the New Living Translation you can get a very modern day English. That is uh, still very accurate to the Word of God or to, to the original, but uh, we un- you can understand the this story, this, what's going on, a whole lot better. In my opinion, that's that's for me. So I don't want anybody to condemn somebody who is uh, who's been brought up that, uh, or I should say, somebody who has been brought up that the King James version is the only Bible that is allowed. Everybody else is a bunch of sinners. I do not agree. I don't. Now there's a... I wish I would have written this scripture down. I believe it's in Amos. But the instructions that are given to him are to present the word and make it plain. In other words... Present the word and make it understandable. Make the word of God understandable. If you can't understand it. Now, I've heard it said that, uh, you know, I, I only read the King James if, if somebody doesn't understand that. It's because they don't have the Holy Ghost. They need the Holy Ghost to uh, to uh, help them to understand it. And I would say the Holy Ghost doesn't help you understand uh, an English language that was 400 years old. That's not the purpose of the Holy Ghost is to translate a 400-year-old's English, English language. That's what, that's what the King James is. Four hundred, uh, just, just over 400 years. Um, however, we don't want to get to the point where it is so off base and you have so many of peoples of man's viewpoint and their way of just paraphrasing what this might mean. And that's what we kind of get at. I don't really use much of that over there on the paraphrase side. I don't use that very much. Because there's a whole lot of man... Just writing in there their thoughts about what this might mean. But I I want to make it plain. I want to make it uh easily understood. And so uh and so that's why I, I do use some different translations a lot of times. I still do stick to King James. Um and a, a big reason for that is that uh it is very close to the very word for word. There's some others. E, uh, the ESV would also be a very word for word. The, um, probably even closer to a, what, any charts that I ever look up, something that would be even further to the left than, than both of those is the, uh, NASB, the North American, um, Standard Bible. I believe that's, uh, yes, the NASB, the North American Study, uh, Standard Bible. Those, uh, that Bible is, as well, very word for word, um, but I uh, I tend to go when I'm studying to the King James version, just because that one, being so old, it's uh, it does have very much, uh, a lot of study material that's connected with it. Uh, ways that you can study the original Greek, Hebrew, and so when I'm studying, I do tend to go to that. I'm probably belaboring that point a little bit too much. But I'll just end on this: where to begin reading. Where should we begin reading? Um, Choose a reading plan that suits you. Here's some possible examples of some different reading plans, some different ways. Um, One thing I would say is don't start backwards. Don't start in Revelation. Some people that, I don't know why, that they pick up a Bible. That's the first place they want to go. (laughs) Tell me about revelation. they start reading, and they 're like, "I have no idea what any of this means, and i say i don 't either a lot of times, a lot of it um, you know we, we might know some of it we might know, and, and I think that there is um, revelation things that I could possibly explain to you and through some of it, but don 't start in revelation, but but let's uh, you, you can read the Bible in different ways and and if you 're just uh, trying to get a daily dose of the Word of God into your life. I would just encourage you, just, just pick it up, read, uh, read, uh, you know, plan on reading a chapter a day. Maybe it's a couple chapters a day. Maybe you don't get all the way through that, that's alright. Maybe you just get a few verses in and there's something that, that you read that it just like hits you and you're like, man, I gotta think about that a little bit more. Just stop there, think about it. Let the Word of God speak to you. There's different. there are different ways that you can, you can read, um, there's different, Plans, I love the Bible app, the, the Uversion Bible app. There's so many other apps out there, uh, different ways if you're tech savvy or, or you could even, there's physical tools as well or physical papers, uh, different reading plans that you could get. Um, and, and they can just help you to, to stay and keep a steady diet of the Word of God in your life. And these apps, that they, uh, they've just helped me to find a way to uh, get into the Word of God every day. And make that part of your daily life and uh, some different reading plans you can have different ways that I've done it. While the Bible we ex- already explained it it's not chronological necessarily it's kind of chronological but not necessarily because it's in these different categories and so you can read it chronologically. They have Bible uh, reading plans out there that, that help you to read it chronologically. I, I, I like doing that. It's uh, interesting to me to do that and so different ways that you can read through the Bible and I just encourage you to uh, whatever, whatever way that you do, um, just get into the Word of God. Let this become part of your daily diet. Let this be something, your daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Amen. He has given it to us. He has given it to us. It's right here. But God will also speak to us and give us daily fresh Word, fresh bread. Amen. But it's always going to be grounded right here, right here in this Word. Amen. I so I just want to encourage you, get in your Bible, read your Bible. And and I hope that this uh, study tonight uh, is, is enlightening in, in some way, and it would help us to have confidence in what we are reading, confidence in what we are studying, confidence in this, Amen. Because this Bible right here is the most precious book that you could ever own. But if it's just sitting there and it is it is covered up in dust. And it is or when it's opened, uh, it's, it's closed quickly because of a lack of understanding. Um, I would just encourage you to pray. I guess I, sh- I should have mentioned that. Just pray. Pray and say, Lord, reveal your word to me. God, open up my mind. God, help me to understand every word that I would read. God, help me to to receive, God, your Uh, your your revelation for me today. And and you pray that prayer and then you begin to read the word of God and it will come alive to you. Amen. I'm so thankful that this word today is something that we can have in our hands. I'm thankful. Amen. That today we have the very word of God. Amen. Can we stand? I just want to stand. We're going to just pray in dismissal. If you had any questions that you thought of throughout this Bible study tonight that you wrote down, um, if you want to just drop that note card in Uh, on those tables as you exit. In fact, if we could get a basket back there, that'd be great. um, and, And I guess even if you just have an empty one, if you wouldn't mind just returning that empty card, that way we have those for next time. Amen, let's pray tonight. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that... Uh, that this word has has come down uh, for us lord it has been inspired god so that we could receive god from your very lips god from the very mouth of god lord the uh, the, the testament the covenant that you have made with us Lord, I pray that you would convict us, that your word would convict us. Lord, help us, God, as, as we, Lord, would it be confident in telling others of the word of God. That this is not just the word of man, but this every word of it, God, everything in it, God, has been inspired by you. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to help us to uh, have a love for your word, God, to dig into this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.